Hello, and you're very welcome along. Welcome back even to the RTE Rugby Podcast. We are back after our summer holidays. We'll be with you, with you right through to the end of next season, the end of this rugby season, which feels very, very far away right now. The plan for the next few weeks on the RTE Rugby Pod, we're going to be bringing you a podcast every Wednesday, as usual, around the Rugby World Cup games. And once the tournament kicks off, we're going to ramp that up to two pods a week for the duration of the tournament. We've had a couple of short podcasts dotted along over the last few weeks as well. Uh, I spoke to Tyke Furlong last week, Ian Henderson a couple of weeks before that as well. So look back over the RT Rugby Podcast feed to to get those and catch up on those. Today, though, delighted to welcome back a a chilled out and suntanned Bernard Jackman with us. Birch, how's it going? Did you have a nice summer? (laughs) The only only tan I'd ever have is if you have a bottle. Um, And uh, yeah, I won't go there with Warren Gatland. Uh, stitched up myself and Trevor Brennan back in the day and made us wear a fake tan. But um, <laughs> it's the only time uh, where I ever had it on. And, and that's pretty obvious to anyone who sees me. Um, I'm like Casper the Ghost. But uh, no, a great summer, yeah. Uh, uh, down I, hope, I hope you got out of the country in the last month anyway. No, I mean, back, I, I went early. Um, I went early, so I was in Portugal in June. But um, being back and look at it, it's, it's been a slow build-up, I think, to to these uh, autumn internationals. Um, but I think once Saturday starts, um, it'll, it'll build. And obviously, we've had a rugby championship over the last uh, three or four weeks that has certainly been uh, of interest. And then the 20s, yeah, the rugby season doesn't seem like it. It only stopped for about two weeks, really, if you, if you include the under-20s, obviously, on, and the great run they had to the final. So, uh, But no, I'm excited by it. It's going to be good. Yeah, I get back from holidays kind of the end of June or start of July and you're kind of wondering, geez, what are we going to do now for the mm. next few weeks? And and all of a sudden the 20s are on top of you and you're keeping an eye on rugby championship as well. As as you said, there isn't there isn't much of a break in it. And even I was mapping out in my head there how many weeks we're going to be doing these these podcasts for now that now that we're back for the new season and you look ahead and the the URC and everything's running up past June and then you've got summer tours coming. We're talking about 11 months here and 11 month season pretty much starting this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And like when you, I'd be interested in, in Gaelic games as well. And when you look at what they've done, they've condensed their season so much. I mean, you know, county stuff is over now. Um, so it's a very short, sharp uh, season for them. But probably they're not in the, they're in the shop window for a very limited amount of time as well. And rugby, whether you like it or not, um has become you know nearly a twelve month uh, season uh, if you if you actually enjoy the southern hemisphere stuff so uh, yeah we're certainly going to be kept busy but uh, as always there's always going to be lots of different things to talk about and talking points and hopefully um so yeah some some great games to uh, to review as well yeah and and one thing obviously that kept us busy over the last few weeks before we even talk about the the warm up games themselves but obviously Johnny Sexton's suspension was something that the potential for the suspension was something that was hanging around for a good few weeks. And then eventually in mid July, we, we finally got worried about it. So a three game ban for Johnny Sexton arising from the, the champions cup final at the end of May. I'm not, I'm not so much concerned about whether we think it's a, a right or a wrong suspension more. So when he does return, it's going to be presumably the, the opening game of the rugby world cup against Romania on the 9th of September, but crucially, 38 years old, won't have played in six months. Does that make you feel a little bit uneasy? I don't think it's ideal. I think I think he would have probably only played one game in, in, of those three, to be honest. Um, uh, Careful now, he, he would have played all three of those, Bernard. He would have played all three of Sorry, them. Sorry, yeah, yeah. He would, <laughs> he would have been for all three. And, and, uh, whatever. Well, I think he probably would have only got a significant amount of game time in one. Um, and... 
I, I think he's been back running for quite a while. Like it was a serious injury, um, but he's been back straight line running for quite a while. They're doing a huge amount of rugby at camp now, so I think that's one of being one of the big learning. So what really frustrated me, I think, is you know we all heard about these reviews of the previous World Cups, um, but there actually wasn't much change. Uh, and one of the big things when I was involved in in, in three World Cup preps uh, and speaking to people in who were involved in 2015, 2019, one of the, the player kind of the, the synopsis from players was one of the big things they got wrong was way too much SNC control, you know, way too much uh, gym off, uh, off field conditioning, uh, which had them in great shape physically. They looked a million dollars, but when it came to actual, you know, rugby fitness, they were, they felt they were a little bit off and a little bit behind and didn't really get the, get game, get enough game time in their legs. So, um, certainly, from what I understand, uh, there's been a really good balance and mix, uh, and they've been doing rugby pretty much, you know, um, as quickly as they could, and doing lots of it, and getting their fitness through that. And um, so, from that point of view, Johnny will be involved in all of that, uh, and also, I think at 38, you know, if you look back over the last whatever 18, 19 years, he has had a lot of injuries, and he's been able to. He's been one of those players who's been able to come back. And hit his straps, you know, pretty much immediately. So, um, you know, with other players, it's far from ideal. But with him, he's been through this before. Uh, the way Ireland are training, and he'll be at the core of that, um, is doing a huge amount to simulate the demands of a game. So, yeah, it's 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 far from ideal. But I think we can cope, particularly having that Romania game, you know, as a as a way of just getting his eye in, you know. Yeah, and I think you said uh, having that Romania game is like. If it was a bigger game, would you possibly have a fear that having been out for so long and, and more so as well with retirement coming in, you know, four or five or six more games that he could potentially start to force the issue a little bit and just kind of get a little bit impatient out on the pitch. But maybe having a game like Romania where the stakes probably aren't as high would be helpful in that regard. Yeah, well, look, I think I think at this stage he has so much experience then he'll know not to not to force it, but definitely you would you would just feel it's the ideal um game for him to just get back up to speed. And then it's gonna be really interesting how far it uses him um in the group stages, you know. Uh like do you play me in South Africa? You know, but when you look at the the way the draw is, is there a significant difference playing France or New Zealand. Obviously, we'd see more on the on the opening night in a quarter final if, if we're good enough to get there. Um, than you know, uh, like to, that warrants risking someone like Johnny Sexton or three or four other kind of you know key players that we can't do without. And obviously, you can wrap them in cotton wool, but um, I don't know. I've been like, I'm not really sure. It's there's a huge advantage to going out of the group one or two, to be honest. Yeah. And particularly with the way New Zealand are looking at the rugby championship, yeah. which we'll which we'll get to in a little while as well. But um I I was gonna talk about it later, but I might bring it up now since you since you mentioned it uh, a couple of minutes ago. But the way they're training at the moment, um I think that the common thread basically it's that it's vastly different to, to twenty nineteen and, and years before. Paul O'Connell was asked about how just preseason general has changed, not so much from what the feedback they've had it from 2019, but more so from his own playing days. And he was talking about how, um, you know, back in the day you were doing just this, this huge volume of running and conditioning work and how 
he said he said it was almost easy to to train your mind to just focus in on doing this. I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that part, but um, you know, he said you could essentially just put your head down and get through that that horrible fitness and you do your skills games afterwards. Whereas I think the the game in general has probably changed to a point now where everything is focused on what you're doing out on the pitch. And if you know, you kind of put the rugby first and fit the conditioning around it rather than doing the conditioning and playing a bit of rugby on the side as well. Yeah, it has it has changed and and I suppose the beauty of it is uh from an Irish point of view, um our head of conditioning Jason Cowman is vast experience. He's been he's been involved in the last World Cup. Um Far was involved in the last World Cup. They do change they do train um differently anyway. This isn't anything new, but um in terms of rugby is at the core of of everything. The only difference is, and this is where sometimes it's been an issue, is when, when teams go into World Cup mode. So normally the Irish players who Andy Farrell has, you know, uh, for three years out of four, he has them for that, that June summer tour, mm-hmm. which isn't a preseason. It's a, you know, it's it's like a match week from during yeah. Six Nations. He has them in November, which isn't a preseason, and he has them in uh, the Six Nations. So that's the that's the challenge um, is... Is 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 basically looking after him as a as a group for that preseason and putting rugby at the at the core there and I, and I think that's brilliant. But like also Ireland, there's nothing wrong with doing you know hard conditioning sessions, but doesn't have with, with the balls on involved. If you look at Wales, so Wales have gone back to um, where do they go? They went down to, they're in Turkey at the moment. They were in Switzerland for a week a week camp as well because that's what he did before Japan where they got to a, a semi-final and actually could have beaten the South Africans in a in, in the semi-final. So Gatland has gone back to what's worked. The Welsh players believe in that because that's what's worked in the past and he's copy and paste and whereas we're a little bit different. We've we've had f- uh, failure or underperformance, you know, uh, and we're now still, we've we're still that. trying to find the plan that works. Yeah, we are. We are. Uh, but there's more. It's more likely this would work because this is what the players have been doing for the province for the last couple of years. This is what they normally do in Irish camp. But like that's that that's important. Even the perception that what we did in the past didn't work is effectively the reality in the players' mind. So you need to give them things that make them feel we've done something different. You know, particularly when some of those players had been to 2015, 2019, and obviously some like Johnny had been to the ones before, or the one before that. Yeah, and it was interesting as well. Uh, when I was chatting to Ian Henderson a few weeks ago, he was saying that one of the the big things the coaching team did was there was a lot more consultation with the players over yeah. not so much like what they want, but what they're looking to get out of the of the program and how they feel they'll be able to to get to their best. And I think they said, you know, a large por- portion of what they said is that they you know they're rugby players first and foremost, and and that's what they want to to get onto. Um, in general. As a coach, how much have you seen the the way preseason training and things like that have been approached down the years? Was was there a a kind of a big bang moment where everyone decided there's a new way of doing things, or has it been a kind of a gradual trickle? Yeah, it's been gradual to be honest, and um, uh, it's like everyone copies each other, you know. And then you have, but like you have outliers. Like I mean, probably what what Gatlin is doing is is rare now, whereas in the past, and he got a bit of slack about it because they did this SAS army camp and, uh, and there was like... Uh, Basically waterboarding. Waterboarding, things like that. Well, look at which, 
you know, is is probably controversial is controversial for sure, and and he got you know he got a lot of criticism over that. But um, as I said, that's what he knows, that's what he believes in, um, and some of the playing group that he has have had success from that type of of, of training. But in general, um, in general, there's a there's a lot more uh, a lot, nearly all teams now are are much more focused on trying to integrate. The conditioning in into the rugby and, and players enjoy playing playing rugby and nearly the, you get the fitness without really kind of you know it but but like it's not as big a strain on you as as what Paul O'Connell's talking about where you know you've you go to athletics track and you and you run a set of interval runs with, with a with a stopwatch you know that's uh, some people old old school people say it's good for you um to you know the the mental challenge but I think um I think you can get working your skills working your patterns working your shape. And get fit, um, you know, through through involving you know, the the ball. Mm-hmm. Hey, to loop back around to the out half situation, then if you're if you're Ross Byrne or Jack Crowley, do you want to get out there this week against Italy, plant your flag in the in the ground, so to speak, or would you have a feeling that whoever was to start against England net or in two weeks' time would be the the likely front runner behind behind Sexton? Uh, I think. I think every minute they get is going to be uh, a chance for them to impress. I mean, um, I think the selection for England is going to be really interesting, um, particularly at ten because whoever gets that is in a in a great position to to lay down a marker and um, put their hand up and and uh, but I think the beauty of the way they're training means that Farrell is getting to look at both of them, you know, over uh, every day um, in pressure situation. I mean, you know, they've got. A very good squad in camp. Um, there's there's not many places up for grabs, but there is places up for grabs. But there's certainly uh, starting positions. So you know, uh, uh, whoever's playing ten in in either of those teams is going to be challenged, and they're going to have to bring the best out of the the players around them. So I would say he's already learned a lot. I think he's already learned a lot, and obviously then the, the exposure to an internet uh, playing against another test country um, will form more of his opinion. But I also think, I mean, we need to be careful of what we expect. Like, I wouldn't judge too much in these games either, you know. Um, they effectively are friendlies. I know some people would argue all, all test matches are bar World Cups um, and Six Nations. But they're, they are going to be for Steve Bortwick, for Kieran Crowley and for Andy Farrell um, in particular and and, uh, uh, and the Samoan coaches as well to... Um, try different combinations, have a little look at things uh, without it really being at the level they're going to hit once once that World Cup starts off in, in September. Yeah, and like it is, they are always a strange dynamic, those those warm-up games where for, for some players, the kind of real frontline players who are pretty much assured of their place in the squad, they're about getting through. It's about literally just getting to the end of those games in one piece and being in your in your squad for... For other players, though, who are on the fringes or just looking at some of the uncapped players in the Irish group, I mean, they're the they're actually the biggest games these guys have played in their lives because it is their potentially their one shot to to make an impression and hopefully sneak into a into a World Cup squad. Maybe if if an injury to someone else kind of opens a door for them. Yeah, it's it's a very tricky one to get your head right for, you know, um, uh, especially if you're one of those frontliners or. You know, it may be your last World Cup, etc. You, you want to get on the plane, but we know in sport, 
if you're not a hundred percent committed, that's when you're more likely to get injured. It's not the only only time, but um, it's it's a tricky one. And and I think again, like there's probably the intensity that Farrell can get in some of his training sessions would be won't be far off. You know, test test match anyway, and 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 the physicality that would come in, in those little blocks. Um, you know, are, are are there's a risk of injury injury there as well. So, um. I think they're. I think they'll be in a in a good place, and and the players. If you look at our squad, I think Farrell has done a great job of of building depth, but also um, getting players very comfortable. If you look at someone like Keane Prendergast, you know he's been in and around the Irish squad now for two years without obviously building up a huge amount of caps, but he knows what what it's like in there. He knows what he'll be. He'll feel comfortable, and he's just an example. And then you have the fellas who've got, you know. 20, 30 caps now and, and have been part of that for the last four years. And and that's that cohesion that people say is a, is a core part of kind of Leinster being very hard to beat um, is a big bonus, uh, a big strength of Irish rugby. And Farrell, by being a, I think he's, he's a, a very steady selector um, and has kind of had a, a long-term outlook on things. Um, has helped create that. You know, he doesn't chop and change all the time. Um, he, he's pretty comfortable in 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 the type of player he likes, and I think that's an advantage for us, to be honest. Yeah, the team for the the Italy game is going to be picked tomorrow. Um, it's it's almost an impossible team to actually predict, but I I might ask you who are the what are the kind of combinations or what are the the players you'd you'd like to see this weekend? Not so much the ones you think will be there, because as I said given the way the World Cup warm-up games are, you actually just don't even know what way teams are going to line out or what combinations yeah. are going to be put in. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't mind. Like how, I thought Gavin Coombs' um, end of season was was phenomenal. I mean, the way he reacted to that, I suppose, setback, like the team, you know, the team struggled that night in November against uh, New Zealand A. Um, but, the, you know, his work rate, his, uh, his impact both sides of the ball... Um, was phenomenal. Now, is it is it going to be too late to to make a, a push? Um, that Irish back row has been pretty settled, and and obviously you have Ty Byrne who who can come into the picture there in either the second row or or, or back row as well. So it is going to be hard. Uh, Prendergast, I would say some of the fringe the fringe guys. Um, this is an opportunity for them to get some game time. Um, and look, like they will have a plan for every individual. So you know, a Peter Manny, a Ty Furlong, you know. Um, do they need a game this early? Uh, probably not. Um, but what are they going to do over the next three weeks, four weeks to have them ready for that first week in France? Is Romania, you know, is that game part of their, you know, um, personal preparation to to be ready for Scotland, South Africa? Yeah, is, it, so, is it is it for all intents and purposes a fourth warm up? You know, yeah. all, all respect to yeah, I think look, it has to be. I mean, like we have to be respectful, but we also have to realize that. You know, um, the days of World Cup shocks, um, to that extent, you know, shouldn't we shouldn't be considering that? You know, we should have, we have the tools to to go and 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 win that game. And and there is a there's a big divide in 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 a lot of those tier two countries and tier one. Despite World Rugby doing their level best to try and level it up, um, it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of money to be able to get more teams who are competitive at tier with the top tier one level teams. So yeah, I, I would expect this to be a you know a mainly um I suppose 
non-first 15 game with certain players that you would say are, are likely to start for Ireland who tend to, to need more game time getting a, a look. But I think I wouldn't be reading anything into it. I'd just be hoping we get through without any major injuries and um, start to build a little bit of confidence in, in some of the areas that we've been working on specifically. And that's that's the key. The, the, another problem with, with the previous World Cups was in general, we had no kind of performance leading into it that calmed everyone down and they felt, you know, we actually are in good shape. Now, but also, like back to 2019, it wasn't just the the, the, the warm-up games. It was the Six Nations before that, not that we were we were struggling. Obviously, this is totally different with this group. You know, they finished the Six Nations uh, with a grand slam. Um, so maybe they don't need um, a trademark performance, whatever. But I think it would be no harm, you know, um, if against Italy or England or, or Samoa, and there was a really strong period where we just looked um, at our best. The, we kind of touched on it there a couple of minutes ago, but obviously the the injury scare and worry coming into these games is the the one that kind of hangs over every player. Joey Carberry was the man in 2019. Remember David Wallace did his cruciate ligament against England in 2011. Jordan Murphy breaking his leg in, in 2003 are, are some of the big examples. Um, It's... It's a tough one for players, I'd imagine, to square their heads around. Um, on the face of it, you probably just have to say, you know, every game it's an occupational hazard. You might get injured and you just have to play this game as if it's normal. But it's very hard. It's very easy, I should say, so to, to say that before a game. But to actually convince yourself it's this is just one one normal game, go out and do what you, you always do, is probably hard to, to get your head around. Yeah, but as I said, I think you know your contact session on Tuesday is just as as mm. uh, 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 dangerous. They uh, from from an outsider, it is, and over the course of the week, will for a split second, the players think about that. Yeah, they will, but this is what they do. You know, this is what they do, and they've been doing since at a high level since they were fifteen, sixteen. Um, mm-hmm. the, the day, so, the day, you, the day you go out trying not to get injured is yeah, yeah. Honestly, I, I wouldn't. I, I, uh, they are all aware that every time they put on a pair of boots, there's, there's that risk. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't stick long in their mind. They're able to park it and, and go out and, and and do what they do. And also, um, as I said, the the way they would be training now, they would be you know they would be robust from doing as much contact work or the right amount of contact work that they that they need. Not too much, not too little, but they'd have their eye in. Whereas in the past, I'm not saying international level, but certainly uh, sometimes. Clubs can uh, our our players can go from zero to hundred, you know, where it's all conditioning, it's all conditioning. And next thing, there's a friendly match, uh, and they haven't had that chance to 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 build up to it. So I think that's that's improved as well. But yet, it's a contact sport. Yet there could be soft tissue injuries, you know, um, that we haven't uh, prepared for. That that would be something maybe we had we had a lot of hamstring injuries um last year and, and sometimes that started, can be started the six nations yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah sorry yeah the start of the season i started this calendar year and um that's often that shouldn't be happening you know that that should not be happening um and that sometimes is a change in a gym exercise or the change in loading um etc and obviously Munster went through it you know at the start of the season but they changed how they how they train now again you know because of the data that we have from the four provinces, the data that Farrell has on every single player because it's shared, but also what they've been able to do in Irish camp, that shouldn't be an issue. But it's certainly something that 
if we were to have a couple of soft tissue injuries, you know, would be a red flag. And unfortunately, you know, if it happens late in August, um, it could cost somebody um a, a trip a trip to the World Cup. Yeah, and in it, I think it was Ian Henderson and Ty Furlong as well mentioned it when we were chatting to them that uh they I think it was the first week or first week or so of the the World Cup camp where they did ease off things ever so slightly, just wary of what yeah. had happened back in January. So obviously it's something that they've they've looked into as well. One final person on the Irish team I want to talk about before we touch quickly on the, the rugby championship over the last few weeks, but um Tyke Furlong coming in now off the back of what ended up being a pretty difficult season with this niggling little calf injury that has just been hanging around with him for for about a year or so he mentioned how he thought he was through the through the end of it and then picked it up a couple of weeks before the champions cup final aggravated it again played through the injury in the champions cup final and i don't know if you remember he kind of came off very early in the in the second half that's obviously been a good while now he's had plenty of time to rehab it he's He's back in full training and everything, and he's available for selection, whether or not he plays this week or against England in a couple of weeks. But is the way that injury has followed him around specifically over the last year or so, would that would that concern you ever so slightly going into the World Cup? Um, yeah, it absolutely would. Uh hundred percent would. It's it's not something you want to see. Uh injuries are are part and parcel of the game, but those type of ones which just hang around and never really clear up. Um, or never really cleared up for him last year, which was obviously, um, you know, highly frustrating for him. He he's he's spoken about it. Um, sometimes calf injuries can be related to a back, uh, a back injury, and and I'm sure they've 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 done countless um checks on on all of his, um, all of his body and and his um his style of running, his gait, everything to try and you know make sure that they identify what's causing it. Uh, but you know, ironically, sometimes it's that break. It's that, like, if you think back to last year, he would have always been chasing to get back for a big game. Um, and sometimes when you do that, you just never get it cleared up properly. Sometimes you get away with it. You know, you, uh, it doesn't flare up again, but he just had that that niggle and, you know, that, that period where there was no game and they could just take their time. Um, and obviously the, the goal was September. Um, that may have been the rests or uh, or the period of time that he needed, but I think he's going to be a key man for us, and we need him fit. Um, and look, look we've built more depth there, but look at people like Ty Furlong, um, are world renowned for a reason. They can do things that um most tight ends can't do, and and for us to to go deep in the World Cup, um, it's I think it's pretty important that he's he's back and and um robust and and uh, at his best as well. Yeah, fingers crossed. <clears throat> That's all cleared up by the time he's he's back playing. So that is the Ireland chat. Ireland against Italy this Saturday evening at the Aviva Stadium, eight o'clock kickoff. Live on RT two, an RT player, and on RT Radio one as well. Um, on the Rugby Championship, Birch. Um, pretty simply, reports of the All Blacks demise look uh, look fairly wide at the mark. Yeah, they're back. Wow. <laughs> um, been really impressive, haven't they? Uh, like you would say, there's. The Joe Schmidt influence is, is evident um, and not the type of game maybe that he was synonymous with the end in Ireland, but just ruthless efficiency at the at the basics. Like They're just so efficient. And I mean, Australia, I know Australia are getting slated and, and the result 
um, was was a very clear and convincing win for the All Blacks. But there was period of the game where Australia had really good territory, um, you know, had possession dominance. We're asking the right questions of, of the All Blacks. Pretty close and, game for fifty odd minutes. Yeah, it was, and but again, probably you just saw saw the Australia kind of not having that efficiency um, in the right areas. But then the All Blacks got the ball. It was just you know clean. It was just clean. It was crisp, uh, rootless, and they converted you know a very high percentage of chances. And that's that, the great All Black teams have always been really good at that, and and um, it's soul destroying for team when you know you have that territory you have that possession and you just can't get points on the board and then you lose the ball and you concede seven um and then they have obviously the x factor they have the firepower they have the power um they look physically in a in a really good place so you know the, the there was always a feeling well if you could you know bully them at you know uh on the collision uh in collisions on the gay line that you would take it away from them but i don't see this team at the moment been weak in, in that area um, and yeah it's look at the, the reality about New Zealand is historically when they fail at World Cups it was probably because they went a year out they were just um, you know the best team in the world clearly uh, and I think and then, then they, they failed at the World Cup and there was a big audit and a big review and it took them four years before they could actually test out whether they were uh, whether they fixed those um, those leak points uh, I think they got that last last summer. They they got exposed last summer, um, and Ireland losing a test series to Ireland, um, obviously caused a lot of stress. Um, you know some changes. You know, uh, obviously Foster isn't being kept on post World Cup, but I think they have galvanised them. Um, they've worked out um, what they did wrong and they've corrected that, and they're probably going to be a better team going to the World Cup for that than if they went into this World Cup number one in the world you know winning games uh, by 25-30 points because um, that hasn't always led them to their, their holy grail in the past and I think Joe being in their experience of the World Cup um, for Ireland and, and uh, Fozzie's obviously quite experienced now as well um, some very experienced senior player group Um and obviously the talent that they they have in, in spades, I think they are they're coming at the right time to be honest. And and uh, yeah, it's just a pity that we might have to play them. <laughs> yeah, it's a pity we're gonna have to we, we might have to play them or France. That's the that's the yeah. hard part. Um, I, as good as it was in the the way they blew Australia apart late on in that in that game, the the most impressive chunk was probably the way they started against South Africa and on South Africa, um kind of hard to get a, a full reading on them yes they've been brilliant at times a little bit average at times as well like that like that early period against New Zealand but you do get the feeling they're just kind of working their way through these games and and ironing out a few creases as they find them yeah they have a game model that mm. would be very difficult to beat in, in in the World Cup and I know our like Argentina posed some questions um but I think Argentina are on the up as well I mean they had a good win in Australia um, they've got a lot of talent now. Obviously, Czech is in there. Felipe, um, if they had a better goal kicker, they they possibly would have beaten the, the box. But the way the box play, like it's 
they're never going to, well, they're very rarely going to go pull away and, and look flashy. Um, but when you get into a, a fight, a, a, you know, a battle with them, they're very hard to overcome. And, and they're, the, they're the kind of team exposed, that, sorry, I said they're the kind of team that'll hammer someone by 15 points. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but yet the team who lose, who get hammered by 15 points would feel like it was 40, if you understand. Mm, That's yeah. how dominant they can be. Yeah. They suffocate you. So, um, I think that they, I would, I, I would be very um, uh, aware, wary of them uh, as being a potential winner. To be honest, I think you know Razzie has, for all the the negativity around him, he has a bit of a, a Midas touch. He has the ear of of his players, um, and he like you know we saw from the chase in the sun. We know from. Um, documentary about it about the last World Cup. We know from talking to monster players and coaches who worked with him. Um, he's a good salesman, you know, and uh, he, regardless of what happens in this rugby championship, um, he's a lot of the same squad who were there in Japan. Um, he has a lot of talent. He's got a savage bench. He's got some serious depth in 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 uh in a lot of positions. Um, and he would have them believing that. They can win a, a second back to back World Cup. Plus, the way they play in cup matches, which obviously you're coming into now, knockout rugby, um, is very, very effective. So yeah, I think the I think the rugby championship bar Australia, um, Southern Hemisphere. So I think the Northern Hemisphere has been dominant the last couple of years. Uh, and the Southern Hemisphere teams look to be um a, a little bit wishy-washy, a bit iffy, but I think they're coming at the right time. I think Argentina um are obviously on the other side of the draw um and they look in in good health and we know that at world cups they get to a, a a different level in terms of their team connection um but i think Czech has given them uh and felipe's experience over in leinster uh as a coach has given them another kind of angle a different perception of players are now across the world again um whereas i don't think that the jaguaris like fifty, the the starting team for the Argentina playing the Super Rugby together, okay, create a lot of cohesion, but they didn't have that special bond when they came together for their for their country. So, and and also Australia, like they still have a lot of talent. Um, I know Eddie's getting us uh in the neck, and 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 you at the moment you would say why did this ARU kind of make that decision on Dave Rennie, but. Uh, I don't know. Like in some ways, I I. I I still hope for Eddie Jones. He has that Midas touch around World Cups and he can get Australia, you know, being competitive again. Um, but I you know, look at that group, that group is mental, the, the Australia group. Yeah, that's what I was going to Like, as Australia haven't been good in this championship really at all, and particularly around like the, around the mental execution of things yeah. and discipline and stuff like that. But as we've kind of been saying for the last six, seven months and we or even longer than that since, uh, since they got rid of Dave Rennie, but ultimately Australia don't have to improve significantly to get to a world cup semi-final at the very least. Like they've got, e- even as they are right now, they have an excellent shot of getting to a semi-final, whether or not they would be good enough to beat who they play there is another thing. But once you're, if, if you can find yourself in the last four of a world cup, anything can really happen off the, the back of that. What I would be tearing my hair out and nearly have been over the last few years. I've been kind of tracking the, for the last two years, I've been tracking the the discipline of the the big teams in the world, the, the rugby championship and Six Nations sides and how many cards they were getting. Initially, it was more so around, I wanted to see how 
how people were adapting to head high tackles and stuff. And in the end, it's just got to a point now where I'm just kind of curious to see the the discrepancy between some of the big sides. And in two years, Australia have now played 31 games and they're averaging a card every game over those two years. 28 yellows and three reds in 31 games. They've had five yellows in three in three games over the rugby championship. Ireland in that two year span, they've only played 21 matches, but they've only had two yellows. And it's just like the the discrepancy, particularly between the, the Six Nations sides and the rugby championship sides has been fascinating, but also just how game on game, it seems Australia are just giving up 10, 20 minute chunks where they're playing with, with 14 players. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And I said, it's not just the, the stats you've given are include Dave Rennie, um, some of his period as well. Yeah. Uh, but most of, I, most of, mostly his but, period. Yeah, it was, uh, but it hasn't been any improvement. But I think... I think some of the some of that indiscipline's coming from a lack of understanding of what they're trying to do. Like they're not on the same page, and and um, like I think the the question mark I have about Eddie is 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 he like so? Most of the assistant coaches haven't got significant experience in rugby union, right? So uh, we know that there's lots of really good elements of rugby league, um, uh, and obviously Farrell and Sean Edwards are are two coaches who've transition from from that um but they've they both have built up a, a significant um period of experience in the in in rugby union um you know and and now they're at the top level whereas eddie's taken guys just out of league and, and asking them to coach their attack and their defense and um because i think their systems are so poor uh, or sorry the systems yeah their, their systems aren't uh bedded in strongly enough that they're they're not able to keep the ball or they're not able to defend for long enough periods, and that creates this um, lack of discipline to a certain extent. Desperation, you know, someone trying to um, pull a rabbit out of a hat to get the ball back mm-hmm. when they're being starved. So that's where, like the All Blacks were just so good at keeping the ball. Eventually, you just saw Australia not being able to cope with that, or an Australian player and making a rash decision, which led to which leads to the uh, cards. Like I'll give you an example. So Eddie's backroom staff, like so he's brought in this guy. Uh, and I, I know him. He's a really good fella. He, he, he's a French guy who was in Bath as a video analyst. Uh, his name's Pierre Henry Broncon, and he got a job in Cast. Okay, Eddie gets sacked from England. Um, Eddie likes to be busy. He goes to Cast on the invitation of Pierre to to observe, to do some um, shadowing, to take some sessions, etc. Uh, which is which is brilliant. Um, Pierre gets sacked by Cast. Now Pierre is with Australia. And his job is mall consultant. Okay, right. So, I, I, I honestly, my experience of Pierre Henry Broncon, um, he he doesn't have a huge track record of being a, a mall expert, right? Okay. Do teams need a mall consultant? Um, maybe they do. Uh, and it's a bit important part of the game. And um, Paul O'Connell does it for Ireland. Does a does a, a phenomenal job. But look at her mall. I don't know if you saw. Yeah, you, you saw the game. Their mall against New Zealand, their mall defence and their mall attack was like they met in the car park. You know what I mean? So they kept turning down points to kick to the corner. They never once looked like, in my opinion, that they had the plan um, to take the ball down and actually maul New Zealand over. Right? Uh, it actually turned, they lost the ball two or three times. And likewise, when New Zealand kicked to the corner, it was so easy. Do you know what I mean? And again, is can it be fixed? Absolutely it can be fixed. But... Eddie Jones is a is a phenomenal coach and has a massive legacy in the game. 
he understands the game. He's 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 um always thinking about where it's going. I just wonder, and, and this isn't just Australia, England as well. Um, is he nearly, is he nearly trying to be too clever, uh, and is that leading to confusion on, on the field with his teams? Uh, and that I think is the is the question mark. And can he now get it right? You know, in a very short period of time, like there's a strong chance they're going to go to the World Cup on the back of five losses. Um, and when you look at individuals in that team, um, I don't think they, I don't think that that that's the level that they should be at. Also, is that going to affect their their confidence? But you're right, they could be they could be below par and still get to a semi final, and then are they able to pull a a big performance um, out? But at the moment, you would say you would say the ARU made a mistake, I think, uh chopping Rennie when they did. Um and I think Eddie Eddie probably played a hand in that. I think he he probably said to him, look if you don't get me for the World Cup, I won't be available after it. And and um they wanted this personality. You know, he's doing a lot of work. He is doing a lot of work off the field in terms of trying to, you know, get Ruby Union back on the uh, on the back pages of the of the papers and, and stuff like that. But realistically, um he needs to get wins and, and uh, this Australian team should be should be better than they are at the moment. Yeah, and I think as you said earlier on, it's just while Australia aren't particularly playing well, it just adds to the fact that this side of the draw is just like the complete wild west at the at the World Cup. And while it's not necessarily teams in good form, it's just going to make for some for some really unpredictable and and really exciting games. Lastly, uh, before we finish up, Paul O'Connell was talking about how eagerly he was watching the the Rock during the Rugby Championship. Any just kind of gameplay things, any little trends sticking out for you from from what you saw over those those three rounds of matches? Yeah, look, I think I think it's pretty much consistent with what we saw at the end of the year, where um, the referees will favour the attacking team. Uh, the angle you come in at um, and the legality of it is 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 less important than quick ball and keeping the game alive. And I think that's the the hard thing for referees at the moment. They're, they're like. The metrics that they get measured on are often around ball and play time, um, you know, uh, speed of ball, um, uh, how attractive the game was, etc. Um, amount of penalties they give away, and effectively you could give away a penalty at every rook, um, probably against both teams. To be fair, uh, but I think at the moment, the the trend from what I've seen in the rugby championship is, um, the referees are favouring the team that are going forward. And to go forward, you need quick ball. To get quick ball, you need to uh, clear bodies away quickly. And the angle and the height and the methods you use to do that, as long as it's done quickly, um, isn't always doesn't always have to be on the on the on the legal side of it. If you get me, you know what I mean. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's jungle rules really. Um, and Ireland, Ireland, Ireland's breakdown is very good. And and. Yeah, you know, um, we're 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 going into that, we're going into this World Cup, having been very much on the edge, um, but I think we need you need to be, you need to be. Yeah, it's funny. There are similarities I I found over the summer just watching hurling and stuff with the the way the the flow of the game and the refereeing yeah. is spoken about where. You'd I can't even remember his name now, but he was refing the the hurling final between Limerick and and Kilkenny, and got a good deal of praise for the way he he let it flow, and it it you know it's similar to rugby where if if you're a referee that's letting things flow, it's likely because you are overlooking 
a lot of things you should and probably could be penalizing. Yeah, totally. Um, um, <laughs> follow like follow the whistle is the is the way to, to yeah. get the reputation. And and and, <laughs> and also um this World Cup is a massive World Cup for the game. New fans uh potentially tuning in, they want it to be entertaining, and that's where that's where the game has changed. I think in the old days the referees um got promoted or got games based on their ability to apply the laws uh, in, in lots of cases. And I'm not saying these referees don't have to apply the laws. They do. But they are there to basically make sure the game is entertaining. And I'm a purist sometimes as well. I can like a, I can like a 3-0. Um, but the majority of people and new fans, entertaining for them is 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 fast and exciting. You know, so... Uh, um, that there's an onus in that, and look at that, you, you. You get the world groupy debriefs um, in your email inbox. That's the ones that they they push. You know what I mean? Uh, faster, more tries, more points, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a challenge. You know. Well, listen. Hopefully, it's fast and exciting this weekend. Ireland against Italy, Aviva Stadium, eight o'clock kickoff live on RT two and RT player. Birch, thanks a million for joining us, and uh, yeah. I'm sure we'll be again over the weeks this season. Okay, thanks, Neil.